Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson for week one in our series, Searching for Answers. Community is one church in four expressions, meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. Hello, community. It is so, so good to be with you. Uh, The other day, I was working out of the cafe at our Naperville Yellow Box location, when an older guy walked into the building, uh, the guy looked kind of lost, so I asked him, can I help you? Well, he recognized me as the lead pastor, and for like the next five minutes, he proceeded to tell me how much he loved community. He loved the people. I mean, he loved you all. He loved being a part of his small group, which is actually a grief support group for those dealing with loss. And he talked about how much he loved being a part of our Christmas gift mart last year. Well, after all the compliments, he extended his hand and he showed me what he was holding. And he was holding this program from a funeral that had the picture of a young fireman right on the front. And I asked, uh, well, well, who's that? And then he told me, he said, that's my son. The the conversation got very somber. The man looked at me and said, uh, I'm really trying to find my way back to God. And I could see this father choking back tears. And then he continued, he said, there's so many people in this world who are not nice people, even evil people. So why would God allow my son to be taken? Why? Let me ask you, how would you have responded? Because there's not an easy answer. In moments like these, we feel the kind of tug of war between faith and doubt. On the one hand, we want to have faith. We want to believe that God is here and that he's in control and that he is good. But as much as we want to have faith, it's then that doubt often pulls our hearts and our minds in what feels like an opposite direction. And we find ourselves asking, why? And there's a very real tension between faith and doubt. And in this tension, I think most of us, we really want, we want faith to win. But in life, we often, so often just feel the pull of doubt. So the question is, what do we do when we're being pulled in both directions? The truth is the tension between faith and doubt, it's always been there. (laughs) Now we like to romanticize Bible times and we think, you know, if I were alive when Jesus was alive, if I could see him with my own eyes, then there wouldn't be any of this tension. I'd be full of faith. But that's just not the case. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus' followers, they had lots of reasons for faith. In fact, Mark in the gospel, he tells us a story of three of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John, who have this incredible faith-building experience. He writes in Mark 9, he says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who are talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. So Peter's kind of like Captain Obvious. 
this incredible supernatural thing is happening right before their eyes. They get to see Jesus, but not only Jesus, also Elijah and Moses all at once. And Peter just kind of blurts it out. It is good to be here. And it is good to be on the mountaintop of faith. We all love the mountaintop experiences, don't we? Maybe it's that moment you come up out of the water after being baptized and all your friends and all your family, they're there to affirm you and applaud your commitment. And it's good to be on the mountaintop. Or maybe it was that experience you had at summer camp with hundreds of other students who are motivated and excited about living for Jesus. I mean, it's good to be on the mountaintop. Or it's that moment when the White Sox won the World Series. Ah, hold it, that hasn't happened since 2005. But if it did, it would be good. <laughs> it's good to be on the mountaintop. Here's what happens. We're on the mountaintop celebrating all that God is doing in our lives. We feel like Peter. We just kind of want to shout out, it's good to be here. And in these moments, I mean, God is real. Faith is reasonable. And it all makes sense. But you know what? It's not just mountaintop experiences that give us reasons to have faith. There are lots of other good, solid reasons for faith. Take science, for example. There's often a sense that science or scientists are set against God or against Christianity. However, that's simply just not the case. Many of the greatest scientists, both now and in the past, have studied the universe closely and have concluded that faith in God is not only valid, but necessary. Let me give you a quick example. Consider astronomer and physicist Robert Jastrow. Some of you are familiar with his name. Uh, he's the guy who founded NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. Here's what he says. Astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they've proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. Or then, there's Albert Einstein, maybe the greatest scientific mind of all time. He said, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. The point is that rather than science being against faith, science actually encourages us to grab hold of faith. Many serious scientists who've studied the facts of the universe, its order, its fine-tuning, its intricate design, is led to conclude that there must be a God who created it all. And it's not just science. It's not just science that tells us to have faith. I mean, history also tells us to have faith. Most historians agree that Jesus of Nazareth lived, performed miracles, and was crucified on a cross. For example, historian Bart Ehrman, who's a critic of Christianity, he even says, I don't think there's any serious historian who doubts the existence of Jesus. We, we have more evidence for Jesus than, than we have for almost anybody from his time period. Or A.E. Harvey, an Oxford scholar, he put it like this, the following is beyond reasonable doubt from everyone's point of view, that Jesus was known in both Galilee and Jerusalem, that he was a teacher, that he carried out cures of various illnesses, particularly demon possessions, and that these were widely regarded as miraculous, that he was involved in controversy with fellow Jews over questions of the law of Moses, and that he was crucified in the, in the governorship of Pontius Pilate. I find that so interesting. 
I mean, historians, when pressed on the question, they'll tell you all the evidence suggests that Jesus did in fact live, he did teach, he did perform miracles, and he did die on the cross, just like the Bible describes it. So whether it's science or history or your own personal experience, the point is there are lots of reasons to, to have faith. And when we hear rational evidence like that, we feel the tug of war moving decidedly in the direction of faith. Most of us want faith to win, and we know faith is good. But we all know there are times in life when we're not on the mountaintop. And maybe you've spent some time in the valley, even recently, and you have doubt. You feel the pull of doubt. Something happened in your life that's shaken your soul and you struggle to have faith. Uh, just recently, I went to the funeral of a young mom who passed away quickly and unexpectedly. She left behind three beautiful kids. And I'll tell you, it was so very, very hard. All funerals are hard, but in some ways, these are the worst kind of funerals. Uh, there's so much shock. There's so many lingering questions. I, I call the questions the what ifs. What if, what if they'd caught it earlier? What if she could have known how long she had? Or everybody asks, what if I could have done something different? And that's how doubt works. Often unexpected suffering, it rattles our faith and stirs our anxieties. And we feel the pull of the what ifs and we gravitate towards doubt. And doubt starts to win the tug of war. We see this kind of struggle between faith and doubt play out in one of my favorite moments in Mark's gospel. In fact, it actually directly follows the mountaintop story that we just read. So Jesus' disciples, they come down from the mountain and they're met with the commotion of a crowd. And at the center of that crowd is a man who's desperate to get help for his son. The father explains to Jesus what he needs. He says, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams in the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. This father had apparently believed that Jesus and his disciples could do something about his son's situation. But it hadn't worked. He had faith. But his experiences had begun to pull him toward doubt. Jesus responds with lament. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How, how, how shall I put up with you? Bring, bring the boy to me. I'll tell you, I, I've always thought this statement sounded a little jarring, like Jesus might just be kind of saying, I can't believe I have to put up with you guys. However, after studying it a little more, I think it's more like Jesus is saying, I don't have that much time left with you for you guys to get this. I need you to get this. I mean, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, this anxiety that you're feeling, the questions, the what ifs, they're not gonna go away. And you're not gonna always have me with you like you do right now. Well, the father brings the son to Jesus and Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Did you catch the little word in there from the father? The father says, if, 
if you can. He's not sure. I mean, nothing's worked so far. He's at the end of his rope. Nobody, nobody's been able to help his boy. And also notice the father asked Jesus to have pity. The word pity comes from the Greek word uh, splonknen. Splonklin actually means guts or bowels. I'll tell you what, just everybody, wherever you are, say that after me. I want you to get this, splonknen. It even kind of sounds like guts or bowels, doesn't it? Splonknen. Well, here in this context, it means actually to have compassion. And it's interesting that the word for guts is associated with compassion. I mean, think of it this way. Have, Have you ever traveled to a country with extreme poverty? For me, I'm thinking of my first trip to Haiti several years ago. I saw kids with no clothes or barely any clothes, homes built out of cardboard. I mean, real, real poverty. And I not only saw it, but I felt it. And guess where I felt it? Like in my gut, my splunkman. That's where you feel compassion. And, and this father says to Jesus, feel my pain. Feel it in your gut. Because I got a knot in my stomach that won't go away. I'm desperate. If you can help. The what ifs haven't gone away. And Jesus recognizes the father's struggling with doubt responds, if, if you can said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. And Jesus presses him on that little word, if. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love that line from the father. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, do you feel right there the tug of war? I mean, he kind of believes, but he, but he kind of doesn't. Have you ever been there? Maybe even right now. I know I felt that way. I think I felt that way every decade at some point of my adult life. And you know where you feel it? It's like in your gut. So what do we do in these moments? Well, here's the most important idea I want you to grasp today. When it comes to the tension between faith and doubt, the most important word is and. And. If you find yourself struggling in the tension of faith and doubt, if you find yourself echoing the words of that distraught father, I I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I want to encourage you today. The most important word is and. Faith and and doubt can coexist. They do coexist, almost in all of us, almost always. See, your doubts, they're not the enemy of your faith. Your your doubts can actually lead to a deeper, greater faith. Let me say that again so you don't miss it. Your doubts, if you pursue them, can actually lead you to a deeper and greater faith. But as some of you know, doubts can also, I mean, they can make you feel paralyzed, afraid, or stuck. So how do we live in this tension between faith and doubt? I don't know about you, but a number of people in my own life come to mind who've been struggling with faith and doubt. Some people are in what has been described as a season of deconstruction, where they're questioning everything they once believed. Others even walked away from their faith. And I know for some people, it was the experience of the pandemic that 
pulled them away from faith and towards their doubt. They pulled away from going to church. They pulled away from the people in their small group. Some stopped praying and some pulled all the way from God. For others, it's been because of a disappointment with the church or a hurt within the church. So often when I listen to someone tell me why they're no longer a Christian, there's always something that happened, a story, a leader who disappointed them, a conflict that went unresolved, or a sense of being hurt by someone that made it feel like, I just can't go back. And on some level, I fully get this. I get how hard a season this has been. I know what it's like to be hurt or disappointed with the church. And I too have been disappointed in leaders who failed or fallen. I mean, I really get it. There are a lot of what ifs. And sometimes it can feel like there's just, I mean, so many reasons to doubt. Yet I also keep thinking about this invitation, this invitation to live in the and, faith and doubt. So what would it take for us to live in this and? What does it look for us take, what does it look like for us to take a hold of faith and doubt together? The first thing we can do is express our doubts. When we let our doubts just stew in our minds, I mean, they begin to overpower us. A great way to navigate doubt is to express it to someone else. Doubt, again, it's not an enemy to faith, but unexpressed doubt can be. So if you're struggling, I'm telling you, find a safe person and tell them what you're thinking. On the other hand, if someone comes to you with doubts, listen, ask questions, seek to understand. Your listening ear will be more valuable than the advice you maybe feel compelled to give them. A second encouragement I'd give, join a small group, join a small group and process your doubts with a group of others who are finding their way back to God as well. It's encouraging and helpful when you start to realize that the church isn't a group of people who have it all figured out, but we're actually a community of people who are learning together how to follow Jesus. In particular, consider joining an Alpha group this fall. Alpha is a great starting point to talk about your doubts and to ask hard questions. I guarantee you'll feel welcomed and you'll feel free to share what's really on your heart and also on your mind. Lastly, however, I think this invitation is one that can often trip us up the most, and it's this. Trust Jesus with our doubts. Trust Jesus with our doubts. At times in our lives, we go through periods of uncertainty. We all do. Uncertainty in our faith, uncertainty in our jobs, uncertainty in our significant relationships. However, the challenge that I keep wrestling with is that after all the deconstructing, at some point, you have to start reconstructing what you believe. At some point, you have to start believing in something again. And so really the question, the great question, the great tension between faith and doubt comes down to this. Who are you going to trust? Ask yourself, who are you going to trust? If this is where you're at, during those times, I encourage you, you know, pray this simple prayer. Jesus, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Jesus, if you're real, make yourself real to me and then see what happens. Trust Jesus 
with whatever you're going through. Look for him to reveal himself to you in ways that you may have never expected. As I was thinking about how we all, we do, we all live in this tension between faith and doubt. I thought of a story I once heard about a woman named Agnes. From the time she was a young girl, Agnes had faith. And and not just faith, I mean, she was passionate about following Jesus. She wanted to do great things for God. She knew Jesus was with her and had an undeniable sense of his calling on her life. And so she actually left home. She became a missionary. She committed everything to God. And then God left her. At least that's how it felt to her much of the time. She wrote these words. She said, where's my faith? Deep down, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain? She didn't deny the doubt, but she continued to work. She continued to serve. She continued even to smile. And she chose to trust Jesus and walk by faith, even though she struggled many times to to feel it. This inner darkness and dryness and pain over the absence of God continued for many years with only brief respite. Such was the secret pain of Agnes. Agnes, who's better known as Mother Teresa. Rest assured, God is not put off by our doubts. When the man said to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus didn't respond by saying, you know what? Your wishy-washy response, it's so lame. I can't believe you don't believe me. No. Jesus responds instead. How does he respond? He responds by healing the man's son. Jesus loves him right in the middle of his faith and doubt. Jesus answers his prayer in the middle of his faith and doubt. Jesus loves us and he loves you in the middle of our faith and doubt. And ultimately, this tug of war between faith and doubt, it comes back to that question. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to just trust yourself? Some popular philosophy? A best-selling author? A politician? A popular podcaster? We're all going to trust someone in, in this tension. What if together we decided we're going to trust Jesus, both today, tomorrow, and every day. There is simply no one more worthy of our trust. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.